thanks for joining us on our C3 Edinburgh podcast. We really hope this message inspires and encourages you in your life with Jesus. To find out more about our welcoming and vibrant church community, please check us out online at www.c3edinburgh.com or find us on Instagram or Facebook. Keep in touch and be part of the story. Now enough from me, you've come to hear the podcast and be blessed. Thank you for the introduction. I want to just say something actually because I take it really seriously when I stand behind here and the reason being is because the huge amount of influence that, that I have by having a microphone and having a platform, and I don't take that lightly. And frankly, when Ailey shared um, some of her experience about fasting, I actually felt this rage rise up inside of me, and I, it infuriates me that people can be misled disempowered from what God wants to achieve in their life through the miscommunication and the control and whatever else that comes from misguided or miscommunicated people who they they would speak for God but they communicate the wrong thing. And the contrast between what Ailey shared and that moment when she came forward, forward and she prayed as a facilitator of Connect, but basically just as a spirit-filled, empowered believer, that is what it's all about. That is what it is all about. God wants to do something phenomenal in this earth, and it's through you. It's through you. All right? The lie of the enemy is that you're not good enough, that you're not empowered enough, that you're not clever enough, and all the other enoughs. But that is a lie. You have the same spirit upon you. In fact, the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament is that in the Old Testament, the spirit came upon people. In the New Testament, the spirit is within you. You have Christ in you, the hope of glory. You have the Holy Spirit in you. You have the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead inside of you. You have been empowered to change the world. All right? The purpose, God's purpose from the beginning to the end is fellowship with him for the whole of this creation. Eden was the the sort of perfect... Eden is man in relationship with God in perfection. And we know what happened. And then the message of the Bible is a story of reconciling God to man and man to God. That, that, that is it. And if you look at Ephesians chapter 3, you know, the, to us there's this mystery being revealed. That through the church, God is going to make us one. He's going to restore us back to God. So we already have that truth, but for those who do not have that truth yet, through the church, God is going to restore humanity back to him. And I'm going to jump ahead. I will jump ahead. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I've got it in my notes. I'll probably find it in my notes easier. 
jump ahead here. Yeah. It's chapter, yeah, chapter 5, verses 9, and you get to 6 to, well, all the way through to 6 too. But we are reconciled to God, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. The point is that God's purpose is to reconcile us to God, and he has given us and he has empowered you to do exactly the same. All right? Now, I want us to pop up something, and this hopefully will stay up long enough that it'll actually get into your head. All right? And I don't mean that in an offensive way. <laughs> I mean that in a really positive way. <laughs> okay? Because the theme of this message, where the heck's my watch? I'm going to put this down here. I can't see. Oh, I can see that up there. Okay. The sort of theme of this message is discipleship. But, but discipleship is obedience, right? And immediately by saying obedience, everyone kind of goes, Ugh, it's a horrible word. We don't like the word obedience. In this day and age, you know, the freedom of choice, rights to choose, independence, self-determination, all of these things are values which we hold really, really dear to us and are sort of pushed forward as the ideal as to what life is about. Self-determination, you make the choices, you decide and all that. And so when we talk about obedience, it kind of grates us a little bit the wrong way. And we feel that obedience is, it's a yielding to somebody else's will. It's, it's doing what we don't want to do. And there's elements of that. But let's go back to the yielding to somebody else's will. That is not a bad thing. Particularly... If the one whose will we are yielding to is the God who created us and the God who knows the plan and purpose of our life. All right? Now, that word up there, which is Greek, I'm not going to pronounce it because I'll probably mispronounce it. But it's from Ephesians chapter 5, it says, submit one to another. And it's that passage which talks about submission. But that word literally means voluntarily or voluntary or voluntarily yielding in love. When we think about obedience in terms of voluntarily yielding in love to someone, it transforms that. For those of you who aren't yet married, welcome to the greatest adventure of your life. <laughs> For those of you who are married, welcome to the greatest adventure of your life. But I say that to say this. There's an understanding that comes that I, I can live in a house and get my way. Well, I could try to get my way, and it's not going to work. It's not going to work. Because I love my wife and because I am in love and because she is the most important thing on this earth to me, then I will yield to her. I will voluntarily yield to her will. We will submit one to another. We will yield to one another in love. I don't feel like I'm giving up my will. I don't feel like I'm not getting my way. I feel like I'm living in harmony. I'm living in, in what God has created for us. We're living as God intended. And because of that, the outwalking of our lives is, in inverted commas, perfect. All right? I'm not saying we have the perfect marriage, but what I'm saying is that as we submit, as we yield to God in love, then our lives kind of fall into place. 
too many, too many pages of notes here. Jesus says in Luke 9.23, he goes, forget about yourself. Take up your cross every day. Forget about yourself. Take up your cross every day. As contradictory as that may sound, death is the way to a new life and a better life. That's the challenge, actually. Death is the way to a new and better life. And in fact, when we, when we come into faith in Christ and we go through the symbolic um, process of death, which is baptism, we are literally dying, we are literally going into the water and we are resurrecting to a life. It's the symbolism of death and a transition into a new life. It's a voluntary yielding in love. The greatest example we actually have of that is Jesus, isn't it? John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. John 15.13, Greater love has no one than this that he lays down his life for his friends. Romans 5, verse 8. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus is the ultimate example of somebody who obediently did the will of the Father, who obediently submitted to the will of someone else for the greater good of humanity and for our benefit. He died, he, he, out of love, love was the motivator which caused him to go to the cross because he saw something on the other side of that, and that's you, and, and it's you, and that's me. You know, it talks about, so I think it's in Romans, it's easy for, for someone to die for a righteous man. Well, it's not that easy, but it says, you know, one might die for a righteous person. One might die for a just cause. And it's within this passage that it says, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, he died for us. It's not because you're good that he died, and you think, well, yeah, Struan's, he's an okay kind of guy, and yes, he's a righteous guy, and he's a, so yeah, I, I could put my life down for him because, good news. No, when we were the worst of that very, 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 very worst, Christ still did it. This is, that's when he did it, when we were the worst of the very, very worst. And don't deceive yourself to think that you were any good. We, we weren't. I wasn't, you weren't. None of us were good enough. But yet, he still voluntarily yielded, voluntarily submitted himself to the will of God in love to restore humanity back to God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. We've been there already. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. I've already said the passage from Ephesians chapter 3. One of the fundamental, if you read the New Testament, okay, I'm going to just back up a little bit. Coming back to what I said about what enraged me about what Ailey said. When I stand behind a platform or, or, or whenever I speak, I want, I want all of you to weigh every single word that I say. I want you to take every single word that I communicate here 
and take it back to the scriptures because that's the foundation of it. This is how people get into error. This is how people get into bondage. This is how people get misled, misguided, and off track. You need to take absolutely everything I say and take it back to the word of God and say, is this truth? Is this what God is saying? Or is this, did I have the wrong pizza last night? Or am I, or have I not had my coffee? Am I, what, what the heck? We need to take everything back to the scriptures. We need to weigh it. We need to honor the word for what it is. We need to esteem it for what it is. We need to value it as the word of God. We need to look at it and, and mine for the truth. I don't say this to... It's so easy to sit where you are. And, and I've sat there, of course. You know, I, don't get this, I don't get the microphone very often, but anyway. So I, I, sit, I sit there myself. But when I, li- by, when I listen to whoever speaks to me or whoever's communicating, I literally take everything they say and I take it back to the Word of God. I'll, I'll write it down and I'll weigh it up and, I'll re- and sometimes you know, the, the, the Holy Spirit or it's just brings stuff to my remembrance and I'll put a little in square brackets in my notes. I take notes for every single message that I ever, ever hear because in the 45 minutes... Or the, or the 22 to 3 minutes that I have here, I'm not going to recall everything. I'm not going to remember everything. And I want to be able to go back and look at it again. I mean, if this is important to hear, what, if it's important to listen to this, and this is our opportunity to engage with, with uh, teaching or preaching, or whatever you want to call it, once a week, then what are we going to do with that at 4 o'clock in the afternoon on a Sunday? What are we going to do with that on Tuesday morning when our bosses? being in a complete, almost did it. <laughs> oh, you know, what are we going to do midweek when everything goes to, you know, what, what do we do? Oh, man, I'm sure he, he said something really good on Sunday, but I can't remember what it was. It, but I know it kind of applies to this situation right now, but I've actually no idea what it was. I'm sure it was good, because I thought it was good at the time, and knew I should have written it down, but I didn't. But I want, coming back to the main point, I want us to weigh every single thing that you hear back to the Word of God. That is the foundation for your life, okay? What I was about to say was this. If you look at the New Testament, Paul frequently, this term always comes up in Paul's communication. The obedience of faith. Obedience of faith. The gospel, synonymous with the obedience of faith. Obedience, faith. Gospel, obedience. That horrible word which we don't like. All right? But this is why I put this one up. So if you see it enough, (laughs) obedience, that's what obedience is. All right? And it's it's sort of synonymous with submission as well. That is what obedience is. So the obedience of faith. One of the truths of the Bible is that at what, all of humanity at one, all of humanity at the end of history will submit to God, whether they like it or not. Whether you like it or not, that, that, is, the, that is the end game. You, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Even those who have rejected him, they will, they, they will sit 
in fact, sort of by force, they will be on their knees. They will have to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord of this earth. Every knee will bow and will acknowledge that. Yet we have this opportunity at this stage in our life to yield out of voluntary love to the creator of this universe and have our lives unfold before him according to his will. When obedience to God's way is your normal pattern of living, it's no longer a matter of choosing either or. It's no longer a matter of choosing his way or our way. Why, why, why would I settle for anything less other than God's way? Why settle for anything less than God's way in my life? And Jemima, you can put that verse back up for a minute. Paul puts it this way, Christ, Christ has shown me that what I once thought was valuable is worthless. Nothing is as wonderful as knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I, I've given up everything else and counts it as garbage. All I want is Christ. Christ. When you get that revelation that, that everything that you are striving for in life, everything that you, you desire, all these choices that you make, if Christ is not at the center of it, then it's worthless. You can go back and put the other verse up. We talk about... I'm all for, we, we're absolutely, we need to give the, give the year to God. Absolutely, we need to f discover what his plan and purpose is for our life. Absolutely, we should write that vision down and we should have it as a, as a guide for us or at least, you know, a, a road marker. I mean, there's, you know, we, we talk about milestones. Milestones are literally markers along the way to show that you're getting closer to your destination. That they're a good thing. You know, you can literally throw something ahead of you and, and, and say, right, that, that's the direction I'm going. But I want to just say this to you. You will discover God's call and purpose in your life through steps of continu continual obedience. You will discover God's call and purpose in your life through steps of continual obedience. And frankly, it doesn't get any much more simple than that. You know, I say, I say this to Nathan all the time to keep him humble, <laughs> which must mean I'm a thorn in his flesh. No. <laughs> right? I'll probably that too, but anyway. But I say this to Nathan all the time. I say this to everybody, actually. God's not looking for superheroes. And I'm not a superhero in, in God's eyes, He's not looking for superheroes. He's just looking for obedience. And he's looking for people who will say, yes, 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 yes. And the amazing thing is, if you, if you follow the yeses, you're going to find out that you actually end up in a place where you wouldn't have been if you'd decided to do your own thing. But, all right? I'm not saying that it elevates you, but you have, you, you, what happens is, as you, as, as you say yes to God, continually in your life, you're going to start to realize that your influence does increase, that, the, that the, you're entrusted with more, all right? And the purpose of that, coming back to what we said before, is that God would reconcile humanity to him 
through you. That's the purpose of it. All right? Jesus said, it is better that I go back to my Father in heaven, because when I go, he will send the helper, the Holy Spirit, and he will, paraphrase, give you absolutely everything that you need to do to, to continue my ministry. In fact, greater things will you do because I'm going back to him. Why is it going to be greater things? Because when Jesus was on this earth, there was one of him, and in this room, we've got more than one. All right? So then we've got this multiplication by his Holy Spirit that comes upon us to accomplish his original vision, his continued vision for humanity to the end of the ages when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. So coming back to the enraging thing that Ailey said, it literally enrages me when I see believers disempowered and not walking in what God has called them. It enrages me to see, it's like looking at a, well, okay, everyone's probably got a phone in their pocket, right? If I was to say to you, turn your phone off right now, well, it might send a sort of shock, oh my God, turn my phone off, but what if I miss something? But the point I'm trying to make is this, if this phone is off, it's no more than a paperweight. When I look out at disempowered believers, you're like paperweights. And the enemy, Satan, is happy with that. That's what he wants. He doesn't mind if, if you do nothing in your life. He doesn't mind if you come to faith, really. If you do nothing, even better. What kind of example is a disempowered believer? There's not much difference between them and anyone else for that matter. Are the Old Testament, it said, you know, we, we read these stories and we, we, we read these different accounts of the children of Israel and, and everything they kind of went through. And um, yes, they're historical accounts, but they're also illustrations. So when we read about Egypt. Egypt's about bondage. Egypt's about being under the, the rule and authority of, of uh, someone who's not God. And then we see deliverance. We see a period of transition in, in, the, in the wilderness where because of the hardness of their heart, they did not, many of them, did, well, in fact, for those who went into the wilderness, because of the hardness of the heart, they all died, and then the next generation went through. But they crossed the Jordan, all right? There was a transition from, the, from what was before to what is new. It's symbolic of salvation. That's what the Jordan experience is, right? When they crossed the Jordan, they arrived in, in Canaan. That is literally the first step into your new life. That is the first step into the kingdom. But what does the story tell us? Possess the land. Take the land. Take the land. We cross the Jordan, we come into the kingdom of God, and we literally have to contend for the kingdom. This is what Jesus says. In Matthew 11, verse 12, it says, The kingdom of God has been forcefully advancing, and forceful men lay hold of it. Another version says, A share of the kingdom is sought with ardent zeal, 
an intense exertion. All right? If your life isn't, that, if you're not intensely pursuing the kingdom of God, if you're not intensely advancing the kingdom of God, I would venture to say that you're still dripping wet with the water of Jordan behind you and the whole of Canaan ahead of you, but not yet possessed. God's plan and purpose for your life is through continual steps of obedience. Again, this, this, read the stories. Obedience to how he wanted Jericho taken. Obedience to how he wanted Ai taken. Obedience, 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 obedience to possess the kingdom, to possess Canaan. New Testament analogy, to possess this earth. God has entrusted us to possess this earth. This is, this is one of the revelations that, that we got before we get. Yes, we've been overseas for a number of years. You, you figure out very, very quickly when you live in a city of about 12 million people or something that you're not the Messiah and you're going to make no difference whatsoever, right? <laughs> All right? That, this, again, I tell this to Nathan. I am not going to change Edinburgh. I might make a little bit of a difference in my family. I might make a little bit of difference in, in this community of faith that I'm part of. And if I get out on the streets a little bit more, I'll make a little bit more difference with the interactions. Edinburgh is going to be changed when every single believer in this city realizes that they are empowered, they are equipped, they've been given the grace, everything that they need to possess the land. And you have been. There is nothing literally to stop you doing that except for yourself. That Holy Spirit has fallen. You, you are empowered by the Holy Spirit. You can do this. And is it terrifying? Absolutely, it's terrifying. One of my favorite prayers is this. Lord, look at their threats. And grant that, you're, grant that you would you know, give your servants boldness to proclaim your word and that you would confirm that word with signs following. In other words, I'm absolutely terrified. Yeah? If I'm going to do this in my own strength, it's scary. And they had the threat of persecution. They had the threat of maybe being crucified or the threat of whatever it is, being whipped or flogged. We, we, have in this, we have in our minds, we invent these threats. And I'm not saying that they're not threats. If, if, I'm, if I'm going to talk to someone at work, then the potential threat there is, it might be shame, it might be embarrassment, it might be fear. These are all threats that, that I'm going to feel, feel. Lord, but acknowledge them. Lord, I feel, if I, if I say something, I, I'm going to look stupid. I'm, if I say something, I might be rejected. If I say something, they might report me. All of that. But Lord... Give me boldness that I may speak your word. And will you confirm that? Will you honor that word that I shared? Because your word says, the sower sows the seed. And Lord, if I, if I share that word in someone's life, then you say that, you know, it can, bring, it can produce a harvest. So Lord, will you confirm that word? So coming back to the sort of overarching theme of obedience. 
It's not optional, actually. It's a command. But we voluntarily yield in love. Now, I'm not going to go through all these words because half of them I can't even pronounce. But I'd look, I did look up the antonyms of um, submission. And some of them are really cool. But as I said, I can't pronounce all of them. But the opposite of submission, the opposite of obedience, is rebellion, unruliness, willfulness. The very same things that prevented the Israelites entering the promised land. They did not enter his rest because of their disobedience. They did not enter his rest because of the hardness of their heart. I want us to walk in obedience. I want us to, us to walk in the fullness of God's plans and his purposes for our life. Because if nothing changes, nothing changes. This sounds a little bit heavy, but I mean, as I said, you know, I want my heart, my sort of life's purpose in many ways is to see you empowered and to see humanity restored to God. Your assignment for this week is to read 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I'm going to jump into it very, very quickly and touch just on a few things. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I haven't got a lot of time here, but I'm just I'm going to reference it. And as I said, this is your homework to get, to get into it and have a look. Wrestle with these scriptures and you figure out what it means. I won't be offended if you don't agree with me. I don't care. I really don't care. I don't. Because you, you need to take this to God. All right? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 9. We make it our goal to please him. It goes on to say, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. We have to get, it says, to give an account of the things that we have done. All right? It says, we know the fear of the Lord. It means we know what it means to be submitted. We know what it means to live an obedient life. Christ's love, you can put in parentheses, and his example compels us. Because he died for us, because he gave his life, then I'm motivated to do, to do this. I'm motivated to give my life for him, submitted to him. He says, you should no longer live for yourselves. It talks about being new creations. It talks about we are reconciled to God. Because all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the, me the, uh, the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as those God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. As God's fellow workers, we urge you to receive God's not to receive God's grace in vain. What a phenomenal 
tasks to be entrusted with. What a phenomenal thing to be part of in, in, in this world. And coming back to what I said before, God's plans and purposes are your, are your li- in your life are just acts of constant, will unveil itself through acts of constant obedience. For time's sake, I'm just going to finish up now. There's a number of different ways you can respond. If you've believed a lie, uh, seriously, if you've believed a lie and, and believed that this is for someone else and that you're not good enough and you, you can't do this, you're right about the last bit. You can't do it. All right? This is the, this is the great bit. Coming back to the thorn in the flesh. Lord, can't handle this. Please take it away. My grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient for my power is perfected in weakness. What God is saying is, I've got everything that you need. Everything you need. And when you actually figure that out, when you figure out that you've got nothing, and when you figure out that you come to that place of the absolute weakness, then that is where my power rests. In other words, when, you, when that bottle has got nothing in it whatsoever, that is when I can fill it up to the very top. So when you come to that place of complete emptiness, then you can receive 100% of what God wants for you. What does Paul say? Therefore, I will rejoice in my weakness so, so that Christ's power may rest upon me. I'm going to rejoice when I, when I realize that I can't do this by myself. I'm going to rejoice. I'm, I'm going to realize that when I come to that revelation, I've literally opened myself up for God to fill me from the bottom to the top, 100%. That's what he's looking for. He's looking for empty vessels. And if you back up into 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it talks about we have this treasure in jars of clay so that Christ's glory might be seen. It's amazing. Yes, we're clay pots, and yes, we're insignificant, and there's nothing fancy about us at all, but as we realize, we recognize that all he's looking for is an empty vessel that he can fill, Christ gets magnified. And as we step out in obedience and start to share our lives with those around us, and as we start to share what he's doing in our lives, in obedience, then we start to see transformation. We start to see people reconciled to him. As we sow the word, as we, as we demonstrate him, Jesus says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Are we doing that on a daily basis? Are we lifting him up? Are we sharing our faith? Are we sharing what's going on in our lives? Are we sharing the scriptures? Are we sharing the word? Because that's the only thing that transforms people's lives. It's an encounter with the living God. You might remember some of what I said today. If you don't remember the the exact words, I don't really care. But I hope you remember the scriptures. And I hope you you dive back into here and get a revelation of this for yourself. Because this is what's important. 
just close your eyes, bow your heads. It's kind of difficult to sort of have a prayer which doesn't elicit a, a response from everyone, and that's not my intention at all. So I'm not going to have you put your hand up. I want this truly to be between you and God because I'm not going to hold you to account. This moment is for you. There is going to be an opportunity for those, for others to respond, but if you've been in fear and, you ha- and if you thought that you're not good enough and you can't do this and you've got nothing to offer, I want to tell you that you, God loves you. God has a plan for you. God has empowered you. And if you feel empty, you are the perfect candidate to be filled to the full and accomplish phenomenal things in this earth for him. So if right now, if that's... If that's how you feel, I just want you to, again, I'm not looking. I want you to put your hand on your heart and say, Lord, that's where I am. I want you to just fill me up. I want to be obedient to what you'd have for my life. Lord, I thank you that you have given me that. I thank you that you reconciled me to you. And Lord, I thank you that I get to share that with others and reconcile them to you too. Now, if there's anybody else in here who is literally going it alone and, and this is sort of news to you that you've never heard anything like this before and you know that you're not reconciled to God, you not, you're know that you're not in right relationship with God, you know that you're not submitted to Him, or yield it to him in love, and you need to put that right. God loves you. His arms are wide open for you, and he wants you to be in his family. He's got a plan, and he's got a purpose for your life. If you do not know that, and you've never heard that before, or if you don't know that, and you've heard that before, but never responded before, I want you just to put your hand up, and we'll pray for you at the end. I see you. Okay. Put your hand down. Lord, I just want to pray a blessing on everybody in this room. Lord, I thank you that you have gathered us here today. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I, I just ask for understanding. I ask for revelation. Because you say in your word where there's, when it's not understood, then Satan comes immediately to steal that seed from the, from the path, to, to steal that seed from that ground. So Lord, I ask for just revelation understanding today. Lord, I ask that the seed would take root in people's heart. And Lord, any rebelliousness, Lord, because we can all identify that we rebel in different ways. Lord, that in everything we would submit to you. 
our Lord, that we would yield to you in love. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.